If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing our series that is called One Another. We're looking at eight different passages in the New Testament where uh, the word one another is used. And this is the last of the eight. The last of the eight. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. Did you know that 80%, this is going to be shocking to some of you, 80% of drivers exhibit some form of road rage. Uh-oh. What's this preacher doing? He's about to... 66% of traffic fatalities are caused by aggressive driving. Surprisingly, this is going to be very surprising... Some men are reported to get out of the car and fight the other driver. Shocking. Their wife made them mad. There you go. So, how do we fix the, the anger problem behind the wheel? I don't know. I just heard somebody say, teach people how to drive. That was actually option number one. We could teach people how to drive, and that should solve the problem, right? Probably not. Then they're going to do something else that's going to make us mad. I'm convinced the way to, to, to fix my anger problem behind the wheel is I need to have grace and realize I'm going to mess up just as much as that other person is. I'm going to mess up just as much as they do, and I need to forgive them the same way that I want them to forgive me when I mess up. You know, this doesn't, this is great for, for driving, but it actually applies to all of life, really, uh, especially relationships. And that's really where we're going to dig in today relationships. Relationships that we have with one another. When it comes to relationships, we've got to choose grace over bitterness. We have to choose forgiveness over anger. And that's what the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to remind them that Christ has taken all things and reconciled them to Himself. I mean, Ephesians is where we get great passages that tell us that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's in Ephesians that we see that Christ is ascended above all things. He has dominion and power over all things. But then Paul turns his attention to how we're supposed to live. As we get into chapter 4 of Ephesians, he tells us that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have. So it's not just enough to say, well, Jesus died for me, but Paul's saying, Jesus died for you, yes. He's reconciling us to Himself, but that has huge implications for how we live our lives. That has huge implications for how we relate to each other as the body of Christ. And that has huge implications when it comes to our relationships with each other and forgiveness and grace. Christ changes how we relate to each other in this way. Because of Jesus, we can forgive and show grace instead of becoming angry. The main thing that we're going to see in this one verse that we're looking at this morning is we must forgive. Why? Because we have been forgiven so much by Christ. We must forgive because we've been forgiven so much by Christ. Join with me as we read. Please stand as we look at chapter 4. 
And instead of just reading the one verse that we're really highlighting this morning, we're going to back up a little bit and start in verse 25. Therefore, he says, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And here it is. Be kind and compassionate. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, I pray that as we look at the transforming work of Christ in our midst, as we reflect on how much that He has forgiven us if we are His, as we think about the grace, the mercy that You have poured out on us lavishly if we have come to Him, I pray that that would make us people who are marked by forgiveness. People who are marked by kindness, by tenderheartedness, by compassion. Help us, Lord, as we look into Your Word. Speak, Lord, for Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Such truth packed into one little verse that really tells us how we're to relate to one another. He gives us the attitude that we're supposed to have to each other. In, earlier in the, the, the passage that we read, in verse 29, Paul tells us that we are to speak only encouraging, grace-filled speech to one another. He focuses in on how our talk to one another is different. But now, in verse 32, where we're looking at, he, he changes it all together and he says, you're not just supposed to speak encouragingly to one another, but he says, your attitude towards one another should be different. The manner in which you see one another should be different. Notice the, the first thing that he says there. He says to be what? Kind. To be kind. That pertains to, that word that he uses there pertains to being morally good and benevolent. Benevolence says, I'm going to do good to another person even if they did bad to me. The idea of goodness the idea of wanting good for someone else. He says kindness to one another, but then look at the second thing he says. Tender-heartedness. Tender-heartedness, which just simply means to be compassionate. To look on someone and to have compassion for them. Not cold to one another, but overflowing with tender-heartedness. Overflowing with warmth and affection. Now, that's great, but if you're like me, 
I learn a lot of times not by saying what things are, but I learn by saying, hey, this is what it's not. Right? I, I learn by saying, hey, this is the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Paul gives us that in the verse right before. Uh, look with me there in verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's the opposite. You want to know what it looks like to be kind and tenderhearted to one another? Do the opposite of that. Don't let anger and bitterness fill you, but be kind. Be tenderhearted. And what he's getting at here is not just something that we can do, but it's actually our attitude that we have towards each other. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves as we see that, uh, we see the, the attitude here is we need to ask ourselves, is that my attitude towards other people? Is that my attitude, kindness, compassion, or is it bitterness and anger? Which one is it going to be, church? Which one is it going to be? We have to have the attitude of kindness to each other. But how on earth are we supposed to do that? Right? I mean, it would be one thing if we were all already friends and we got together in the church and you know we, were, we already had a friendship going and nobody ever wronged each other. That would be the easiest thing, right? Let's, let's be kind. Let's be compassionate. But we don't live in that world, do we? We don't live in the perfect world where we can go to the perfect church and everything is going to run smoothly. We don't live in the world where, where we're never going to be wronged by another person. And Paul writes this about the attitude knowing full well that the people that he's writing to are going to face others in the body that are not going to get along. Paul is writing, to this, writing this to them knowing that they're going to be wrong. So how on earth are we supposed to fulfill that command? How on earth are we as a church supposed to be kind to each other? How are we supposed to be warm-hearted to each other? And that's the second thing he tells us. He doesn't just leave us with an attitude, but he actually tells us how we're supposed to do that. He gives us the method that we're supposed to do that. And notice what he says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. And then here's the how. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. That, I love that, that word he uses for forgive is, is simply the verb form of the word grace. The verb form of the word grace. It usually means to give something to someone freely as a favor. To give a gift, maybe. To give something that they don't deserve. It can also be used in the business world to describe the cancellation of a debt. We see it in the New Testament describing when someone owes someone else a large sum of money and they cancel it. They forgive it. But here, what he's talking about is kind of that idea, but it means to be gracious to someone by forgiving them. The debt that people owe you from, from wronging you, to be gracious to them and say, I'm canceling that debt. So guys, we know, what, we know what the word forgive means, so that means that we can easily live that out, right? I wish. I wish we could just define something and say, well, I'm, I'm good now, I don't have to struggle with that. 
But we know that the forgiveness he's talking about here, we can know exactly what it is. We can know exactly what it means. But the issue is not in knowing what it means, but it's about applying it to our lives. You can know what forgiveness is all day long and not apply it and be a forgiving, grace-filled person. So, you know, there's three observations about forgiveness that I think are, are helpful as we think about how on earth are we supposed to apply these things to our lives. And the first one is that forgiveness doesn't heal the one who wronged you. It heals you. It heals you. We think, man, when I forgive that person that's wronged me, then, man, they are, just, they are in for some good stuff. They are in for some healing when I forgive them. And that's not the way it works, brothers and sisters. It's actually me when I forgive that receives the healing. Many times the other person has moved on. I mean, think about it. Somebody in the church has wronged you. More than likely, that person has just moved on and they are not even thinking about it and yet you're left in all of your bitterness and anger. Forgiveness does not heal them. It heals you. And we've all seen the person who's been destroyed by bitterness. We've seen the person that has been rocked with, with anger. And that is what we are on our way to if we will not forgive. That's what we're on the way to when we will not show grace. The second thing is that forgiveness has to be a regular part of relationships with each other. It's got to be a regular part, church family. In other words, what that means is that forgiveness is not just something that we do on a big scale. It's not just something that we do when someone has really wronged us. But it's something that we do on a small scale every day. It's something that we do on a small scale when someone says that one thing that just kind of gets to you. When your spouse looks at you the wrong way. When the person that you're sitting across from in Sunday school, when they say that one thing that is just getting on your nerves, that's when you need to show forgiveness. It's not just something that's big. Well, if somebody really wrongs me in a big way, then I'll forgive them. It's practiced every day in all parts of our relationships with each other. And finally, the third thing is forgiveness points others to Christ. You say, well, how does it do that? Why does it point people to Christ? Because the Christian community should look differently than the world. The Christian community should look differently in the way that it relates to each other as opposed to a secular community. When you look in the church, people should look in and think, wow, I don't know how they can forgive each other so easily. They should look in at the church and say, I have never seen people more filled with graciousness towards each other. I've never seen people in my life who could so easily forgive. But instead, church, when people from the outside look in on us, what, what do they usually think? What do they usually think as they look in when they see us not forgive? They think, man, if I wanted that much drama, I could just stay home. The church is not a place for drama. The church is not a place where we get our own agenda. The church is a place, listen, 
where we've got to be filled with grace toward each other. I mean, when you see a business meeting, or I mean, I say business meeting because that's the typical where you usually hear people getting up and shouting at each other. You have a contentious business meeting in a church, and people stand up and they start shouting, and they, you know, they want their way. They refuse to, to extend forgiveness. They refuse to extend grace. The church usually will take one side or the other and say, well, we want it this way or we want it that way, but instead the church ought to say, no, you're both wrong because you're refusing to forgive each other. Church, we've got to hold each other accountable in these things. When we see somebody who's being uh, eaten up with bitterness and anger, we need to go to that person and say, look, I know it's painful, but please choose forgiveness. Forgive. So how do we do that? That's the all-important question, right? How do we forgive people? One... one, uh, Person Robert Jones says this, he says, you first of all release the offender from your judgment and entrust him or her to God. In other words, you say, you have wronged me and I am releasing you from my judgment and I'm going to let God decide who's right. I forgive you. And then after we get to that point, we have to move to the point of saying, I'm going to empty my heart of all bitterness that I have. I'm going to empty myself of all anger And finally, we have to say, I'm going to be ready to be restored to that person if they repent. I'm going to be ready to restore the relationship if that person repents. And then when they if they do repent and, you know, sometimes that happens, sometimes you'll go to the person you extend forgiveness and they say, I was really wrong and I apologize and I I repent. And when they do that, we've got to be ready to restore. And what that looks like is, and husbands, wives, y'all need to write this down because this, this is some good stuff right here. I thought so anyways when I read this, this from, from this guy's book. I will not raise the forgiven offense again if the other person repents, if I'm being restored to him. I won't raise it to myself. I'm not going to brood on it. I'm not going to dwell on it in my own heart. I'm not going to raise it to others and gossip. And finally, I'm not going to raise it to the offender. I'm not going to use it for future ammo. That's what forgiveness looks like when true, full restoration happens. We forgive. Now I realize there are some instances where forgiveness may not look like full restoration. There are instances where something so heinous has happened that like in the case of assault or abuse, where, where you may say, I forgive that person, I'm choosing forgiveness, but I'm not going to pursue a relationship with that person. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean if you've been hurt, if you've been abused or something like that, it does not mean that you forgive and have to run right back to that situation, but rather it means that you can forgive and say, I'm, I'm not going to pursue full restoration of that relationship, and that's okay. That is okay. The bottom line in all of this, is that we need God's help to forgive. Because I want you to see, in the, in the things we just looked at, especially empty my heart of bitterness, how do we do that? Do you have a switch in your heart? Are you just going, I'm going to flip the switch of bitterness off and I'm just going to put it behind me? I'm not going to be bitter anymore. 
We need God's help because with things like that, with forgiveness, with bitterness, with anger, we have to come to God and lay it all out and say, God, I know that you command me to forgive, but I really don't want to forgive right now. God, I know that you don't want me to be bitter, you don't want me to be angry, but I need your help right now because all that I feel in my heart is anger. And as we turn to Him and as we say, Lord, I don't have what it takes and I need your help, He's going to be faithful to do those things that we ask. He's going to be faithful to help us forgive. So how do we show kindness to each other? How do we show compassion, that attitude? We forgive each other. We show grace to each other. Am I quick to get angry with others? Am I quick to get bitter? Or am I quick to extend grace and forgive? Back in 2016, tragedy struck our community that we lived in in North Carolina as a local teacher was killed. A drunk dump truck driver plowed into the back of her minivan crushing her minivan into a semi-trailer. She was killed instantly. Her husband was studying at the same seminary as us. She was a teacher at the local high school. And I remember thinking, this is truly awful. I mean, how is this family going to get through this? How are they going to respond to this? What are they going to do? I mean, imagine if that was your spouse. Imagine if that was your mom, your dad, your daughter. We got the answers that we were looking for when we saw the news article in the local, uh, the local newspaper that said the headline, Husband of Teacher Killed in Wake Forest Forgives Charged Trucker. This is what he said, and I quote, the husband says about the drunk driver, he's hurting too. He doesn't deserve to be tormented any more than we do. Knowing what we know, it doesn't make it hard to extend forgiveness when we've been extended forgiveness. And just like that, in this impossible situation, far worse than I hope and pray we'll ever face. He extended grace. He extended forgiveness. In church, He received healing. This man chose forgiveness over bitterness, grace over anger. How could He do that? How on earth could He do that? In his own words, this is how. It doesn't make it hard to extend forgiveness when we've been extended forgiveness. This man could extend forgiveness to the man who killed his wife because he says, I know that I, I have been forgiven much. And so I freely offer this man my forgiveness. The last thing that Paul addresses here is our motive. Why should we forgive each other? And y'all, this is the heart this is the heartbeat of this verse. This is the heartbeat of what Christian forgiveness looks like. We forgive, verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you. 
When we think about the motives, psychologists today, they know that forgiveness is the better option, but when you ask a, a secular psychologist why, they usually point to the benefits. One, one article in Psychology Today said the benefits include reducing anger, hurt, depression, stress, increasing feelings of optimism, hope, compassion, physical vitality, self-efficacy, conflict resolution skills, and confidence. Forgiveness can even improve our physical health with some studies suggesting it reduces hypertension. And on and on it goes, talking about all the benefits. And these are great benefits, don't get me wrong. There's nothing, there's not, that's not a bad way to look at forgiveness, the things that it does for us. But as Christians, our view of forgiveness is different. Our motive for forgiveness is much greater than benefits that we can receive from it. It's shaped by God's forgiveness of us. Paul's reason to forgive, we see it there, we forgive because God in Christ forgave me. God in Christ forgave you. And if we truly understand how much forgiveness that He gave us, it's no problem for us if we're in Christ to forgive. I mean, Think about it. We are way more sinful than we could have ever imagined that we were. When you think about how bad we are, it's a hundred times worse than that. At least. We overestimate our own goodness. But when we really see how bad we are as people, and then we realize that God is more gracious than we could have ever dreamed, That He extends us forgiveness in our state of sinfulness and rebellion? How can, how can we not forgive other people? How can we not extend forgiveness? How can we not be gracious? In the words of Jesus, Jesus gives a parable of, of a man who does just that. Who is forgiven so much, yet refuses to forgive himself. To forgive other people. Matthew 18 is where this passage is found. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is the equivalence of today's dollars, several billion dollars. And since he couldn't pay, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Look at what he does. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. He didn't put him on a payment plan. He didn't say, well, I'll cut you some slack now, but you still owe me. He says, no, I forgive it completely. You don't owe me anymore. So what does this guy do with all the forgiveness that he just received? Surely this servant would go then and, and forgive others. Surely this servant would be marked. His life would be changed by this incredible grace. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that's equivalent to just a few thousand dollars. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had take, this had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now verse 35 should haunt us. So also, this is where the parable meets real life. So also, my heavenly Father, God, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is not saying that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people, but He's saying rather, when we have truly been forgiven by God, that's going to impact every aspect of our life, including how we show grace and mercy to others. And the gist of what Jesus is saying is very simple. He's saying, if you are unwilling to forgive, if you are consistently marked by not showing grace, not showing mercy, you're constantly marked by holding grudges and bitterness and anger, then He's saying, you do not know the forgiveness of God. You do not have the forgiveness of God. Because if you had it, you would so freely give it to other people. That's why in the middle of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray and He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God's forgiveness transforms us so that we can forgive other people. And if we refuse to extend forgiveness, it shows that we don't understand what it is. The gospel makes us gracious. The gospel makes us gracious because we've been shown very much grace. This sinner has been shown very much grace. We see in this passage the attitude that we're supposed to have toward one another. What is our attitude towards each other? Is it kindness or is it bitterness? We see how we do that. We see how, we to be, how we're to be kind, how we're to be compassionate. We, we can do that because we forgive each other. Are we forgiving each other? Is our church a grace-filled church? Are our relationships filled with grace? And finally, we see that as Christians, our motive is we forgive because we have been forgiven. We can forgive because we know that the greatest debt that we owed has been paid. The greatest problem that we face, we were born sinners, each and every one of us. We cannot earn God's favor. We can't earn our way in. We can't make up for the wrong that we've done. And yet God says, I'm sending my son to live the life that you should, should have lived, to die the death you deserve, and I'm going to extend forgiveness. As we think about how to respond to this this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you that would just be simply to receive forgiveness. If you're a Christian, yes, I think, or if you're not a Christian, I, I think it's a great 
thing to do in your life to forgive others, but for you the greatest thing to do is to receive what true forgiveness is. To realize that you before God are unrighteous and sinful. That nothing you can do will ever measure up to His holy standard. That we're in rebellion against Him. But even still, the great news of the Gospel is that He offers us forgiveness if we will take it, if we will receive it. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, for you it's very simple how how we respond to this. It's not a three-step plan. It's just one simple thing. Who are you not extending forgiveness to this morning? And you know, you've been thinking the whole sermon. And hopefully the Holy Spirit's been convicting you this entire time. Like, this is the person you haven't been forgiving. Choose today to forgive them. Choose today to simply say, I forgive. In just a moment, we're going to sing a, a song of response. And as we do that, I'm going to invite you, if, if you have somebody this morning and the, the Lord has just laid somebody on your heart, like, I have not forgiven this person, and you're saying, but today I want, I want with God's help to do that. I'm going to ask you this morning just to simply come and kneel and say, Lord, this morning, by my getting up out of my comfort of my seat and coming down, I want to say that, Lord, help me to forgive. I'm going to change my physical location. I'm going to change my physical position to kneeling to say, Lord, please help me to forgive. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, during this time while we're, while we're singing for you, simply come down and ask questions. Come down and, and receive that forgiveness for the first time. And I'll be, I'll be down front to answer any questions that you have. Father, as we come to a point where we respond to Your Word. Lord, I pray that we would be marked with forgiveness. That we would be a church that is marked with grace. That people around us would look in and say, wow, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how they could have so much grace toward each other. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church marked by the things that we've looked at over the last few months. That we would be a church marked by love for each other and building each other up. A church marked by forgiveness. And ultimately, Lord, in all of these things, we want to be a church that that reflects and magnifies the greatest news that we've ever heard. That in our sinfulness and in our rebellion, a holy God looked down and extended forgiveness. That forgiveness was free for us, but it wasn't cheap. God, in Your justice, You have done what we could never do. In Your justice, Lord, You paid for our sins so that we would never have to pay for them again. That Christ, as He died, faced the wrath that we deserve so that we'll never have to face it. 
So as we meditate on that this morning, God, I pray that you would make us thankful and make us gracious. In Jesus' name.